Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, uh, Stephanie, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Helping Cancer Patients and Their Families Cope with the Stresses of Caregiving. And this is a particularly important time of the year to offer this program just because it's this holiday time of the year. It's a time of year that families experience a lot of stress in addition to the cancer experience. So um, I'm really glad that you're all on the call today. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration <clears throat> that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. And we have on the call today over 597 participants. So there's an awful lot of you on the call today. And you come from all over the United States, from all different regions. And we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, India, Kenya, South Africa, Trinidad and Tobago, the United Kingdom, Venezuela, and the Virgin Islands. So we really have people from all over the world on this call today. And it's a real credit to each of you that you're spending this time with us. This program today is supported by Boringer Ingelheim Pharmaceuticals, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support of this program and for their support of uh, caregiving issues in general. That's really been very uh, helpful to many programming um, issues that, we're, we, um, that Cancer Care has embarked on. And you'll be hearing more about that throughout the call. Now, um, we have all received materials from Cancer Care, and in those materials is information about our speakers and the topics we'll be covering and all the collaborating organizations. There also is an evaluation form in your materials, and we ask you to take a moment and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can really best tell us the workshops and topics you'd like us to offer going forward. Um, indeed, the topic of caregiving is one that many of you have repeatedly told us you would like us to offer workshops on this, and so we have this workshop today. So tell us what you'd like, and we'll try very hard to implement your suggestions in terms of what you'd like us to offer. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Barbara Given. Dr. Given is the University Distinguished Professor, Associate Dean of Research and Doctoral Program, College of Nursing, Michigan State University. And Dr. Given's background is in nursing, her PhD is in nursing, and Dr. Given is going to address the definition of a caregiver. She's going to talk about what we know about caregivers, well-being, couples, partners, and family communication what the research tells us, and she's also going to talk about the stresses of family, friends, and loved ones. Now I'm going to turn this program over to Dr. Given. Thank you very much. It's uh, good to be here in this month uh, after the month for caregiving. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, definition of caregiving. And we in who are involved with cancer care sometimes find individuals who don't like the term caregiving, but I think it's important to know that the whole uh, history of the term really comes very much from aging and dementia care and is also the term that government uses. So if you don't want, like the term caregiving, you can call family members, loved one, or other terms, but in our um, multiple years of history uh, of research, we've asked people and their usually pretty uh, okay with the word caregiving. But what we mean when we talk about caregiving in the context of cancer care, we're really talking about individuals who provide health care for someone who needs assistance. So it's the act of assisting someone who has a chronic health problem or in this uh, particular case, cancer, and has some areas in which it is important to have some assistance. And that assistance really stretches all the way from uh, supervision, guidance and helping take meds, transportation, to actually direct care with injections and dressings and a variety of other things. So when we talk about caregiving, it isn't just family support. And it isn't just what spouses and partners always do. It's really involved in a healthcare way. And so it's a little bit different than just a family member, and so hence the word care in the term that is used. And so uh, the perspective that one has to think about 
uh, for family caregivers and cancer is that they do a lot of the work. They're very involved with the patient. And in the studies that have been done, the patients who have family caregivers, they do a multiple uh, set of tasks, and that varies. Also, a very uh, long or short term, depending on the diagnosis and the length of the treatment. Uh, varying levels of involvement. In some cancer situations, family members are mostly transportation and coordination of care individuals. For others, they're very in, uh, directly involved and involved intensely. And there was a federal government study uh, completed in 2011 that said over a five-year period that they followed caregivers, uh, uh, during active treatment, they had approximately 8.8 .8 hours involved with care. And during active treatment or the treatment protocols that went on for a period of time, caregivers were involved 14 to 24 months. So it's a pretty heavy commitment that family members make and loved ones make to really help individuals get through that. What the healthcare system has not adequately addressed, I believe, is the fact that caregivers are really an extension of the health professional workforce because they're involved with patients for a long period of time, over many months, as you just heard, and are on call 24-7 uh, during active treatment for individuals. So no one could say that there's anyone more important to cancer care than the family members who are actively involved in their care. So it's a key role. It's very, very important. And uh, in the U.S. so far, we have really not acknowledged the value that family members bring both to the ongoing care, the process of patient's care, but also to the outcomes that they have. I think many patients do well and have very good uh, cancer outcomes because they have great family caregivers. Um, when one looks at the caregiver well-being, and the issues around caregiver well-being, I think we have to look at social, spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being. And again, looking from uh, the research that has been done, uh, approximately a third of the caregivers will have some area of strain and stress in one of these areas or in several of these areas. Generally, those uh, strains and uh, lack of well-being come and go across time with different periods in the caregiver trajectory uh, where they're doing, uh, having more uh, impact on their well-being and other periods less. So it depends on the stage of uh, patient's treatment or where they are in the phase of recovery or uh, going into palliative care or end of life. So uh, there are impacts on the um, social well-being and the spiritual well-being, physical well-being. Uh, family uh, caregivers uh, often experience pain, fatigue, sleep uh, disturbances, as well as uh, anxiety and depression in the emotional uh, domain, and then sometimes have spiritual challenges as well. Uh, during um, Active treatment and then at end of life, uh, this is often more acute than not. And there have been a number of studies that show that the family caregiver level of anxiety and depression is almost at the same level as the patient's, if not the same level. And if there would be cancer recurrence, family members often have more anxiety and depression than the patients themselves. Uh, what we have found in our work is that uh, often this change uh, occurs when there are transitions in care more than the amount of care. So some caregivers do really well doing many, many hours of care a day and doing many tasks and many activities and just have it all down very good. But then something happens like a hospitalization or even an improvement in care where the whole routine has to change. And that's a key point uh, when uh, individuals may need to ask for a little help for themselves if they're uh, caregivers. The other time when there are uh, ex uh, uh, 
threats, I think, to the well-being of uh, family caregivers is if they're caring for individuals like brain tumor patients or patients who have cognitive changes. What we find the threat to the well-being of caregivers uh, for those type of patients is as bad as caregivers uh, who are caring for dementia patients. So some diagnosis will cause more uh, challenge to caregivers' well-being um, than others, and so that, that may happen. Uh, some of the um, challenge or unmet needs, I guess I would say, in the caregiving perspective for care, caregivers, one is the uncertainty. That is what's going to happen and what are the expectations. I think there are many uh, decisions that families have to make, and sometimes they're not prepared to make them, or what most caregivers feel that their, their biggest threat to well-being is, is they don't have adequate information, that the healthcare professionals are not providing enough information to them so that they can, in fact, uh, make the decisions or problem solve or move forward. I think other challenges besides financial which may occur is communication, communication among family members and with providers. That's another big challenge that they see. And who is coordinating the care? Who is coordinating the care becomes major issues at different transitions, from surgery to the oncologist, from the oncologist to the medical oncologist to the radiation oncologist. Then perhaps the patient is finished with treatment, then you may go back to primary care, but how many uh, contacts do you really need with oncology? Patients, uh, caregivers tell us that those are big, major decisions that are threatening to their well-being, especially their emotional and social perspective, and that trying to coordinate multiple providers becomes major issues for them. As um, it relates to uh, communication, I think the communication really uh, is an issue for patients with their family members, but it is threatened by the fact that uh, patients and caregivers do not have the information they need, or some of them have some information and others do not. I think one of the biggest challenges that family member caregivers have is when different family members have different pieces of information. So if caregivers have uh, multiple siblings, for example, and they are caring for a parent, each sibling may get different information from either the providers and or the patient. And so this becomes a challenge then as uh, the major caregiver is trying to pull all the pieces together because maybe the patient shared some information with one uh, sibling but not with another. And the same thing happens with uh, parents, uh, spouses caring for each other, but who has a child, for example, who will be involved with the care. There may be uh, discordant uh, information because not everybody has the same information. In our studies, we usually try to encourage family members to have at least one family conference where everybody sits down and talks about what they know and what they plan and how they're going to make decisions and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And that is best done if there is a mediator or someone who is not a family member trying to control that. Sometimes that could be a social worker, it could be a counselor, it could be a minister, it could be someone else. And some of the things to talk about are the expectations for care, how decisions are going to be made, who's going to take over roles that uh, maybe uh, have to be taken over, who uh, the important thing is that individual family members do not feel left out and they need to all hear the same story and figure out how they're going to keep information. There are um, a variety of mechanisms to do that. The other difficulty between the patient and the caregiver that is a big issue is asking for help or imposing help. So that also has to be something that needs to be discussed, and that can be often done in the family meetings. Where we see that that has a therapeutic problem is if patients are trying to protect the caregiver from the symptoms they have. So the patient is reporting a pain of four, and a caregiver thinks the patient has a seven, and they both go in to see the health care professional, 
and uh, they're not talking about the same level of symptoms. So how one's going to handle all that communication is really, really important. And I think I should stop now and pass it on. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Given. That was really a very comprehensive uh, presentation and really identifying many issues that I know there will be questions about during the Q&A. So thank you very much for really setting the context for our program today. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. And Dr. Palos is a nurse. She's a social worker, and she's a doctor of public health. So she is of her own healthcare team to some extent, our big healthcare team, and she's clinical research manager, division of medical affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Palos is going to address practical tips for helping caregivers manage stress, coping with holidays and special occasions, and self-care strategies for caregivers. So I'm now going to turn the program over to Dr. Palos. Thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to be involved in the discussion of how to cope with the multiple roles and responsibilities of being a caregiver. Dr. Gibbons gave us an excellent definition of um, being a caregiver or uh, of a caregiver and an understanding of some of the responsibilities that come along with that role. Um, the multiple and sometimes complex roles expected of being a caregiver often spills over to involve the entire family, so it does become a family affair. And caregiving is a family affairs when events um, come up. It can be like a celebration of an anniversary or a birthday. And even if we don't have, uh, even as normal people, no caregiving or any assignments like that, we will experience stress. And that's kind of a good stress that we're going to have with birthdays and anniversaries and the anticipation of the celebration. But sometimes that good stress can turn into overwhelming stress when we are in the role of being a caregiver and having to deal with the daily activities of, of providing care to a loved one diagnosed with cancer, and um, then on top of that, then dealing with the holidays. In the midst of preparing for the holidays, families, not just only the caregivers, but the entire families find themselves struggling to keep up with all those activities. Um, and so even that puts even stress uh, greater stress on the patient or the one that is diagnosed with cancer. So there's a lot of stress going on during that time, and, and many times what happens is families tend to be protective of each other and don't want to discuss it with each other. And so that's one thing that, that when I said it becomes a family affair, it becomes a family affair that can become overwhelmingly stressful, or it can become a family affair where people recognize that, yes, we're feeling stress, let's talk about it or let's talk to someone else about it and how we can manage it, and then then it becomes a, a, that good stress that we often feel when these types of celebrations come up. As mentioned by Dr. Dick Gibbons, the roles vary along the continuum of the cancer journey from simply being a listener to the more complex of managing multiple medication schedules and doses. So again, trying to maintain these roles becomes can become increasingly stressful when families believe they have to keep up with all the wonderful traditions that they may have had with their, um, with their holidays in the past. Now, I'm positive that many of you listening on this call know exactly what I'm talking about. As the warm memories of the Thanksgiving holidays are fa fading away, one stress now can be increasing as the realization sinks in that we must now prepare for the next wave of holidays. Being a caregiver for a loved one diagnosed with, caregiver, with cancer during the holidays leads to a unique set of circumstances. But with preparation, planning, and preventive action, this experience can be a wonderful opportunity to develop new strategies, new traditions, and new memories, um, and especially even if you're a long-distance caregiver. In the next few moments, I'll address two questions that may arise during these times. One is, how can I cope with the special celebrations and holidays given our daily routine of caregiving? And two is, how do I make the time to slow down and take care of myself without feeling guilty? So here, I'd what I'd like to do is share a few practical tips that may help manage some of the stress associated with being a caregiver during this time. First, do not hesitate to talk about your stress with someone you trust. It can be a spiritual leader. It can be a counselor. Others going through a similar experience, such as a support group, and cancer care provides many services to support patients and caregivers cope um, with these types of situations um, during the stressful period. And um, our next speaker, Ms. Rubin, will provide more details on these types of support. Just being able to talk about or even just speak them out loud, verbalize the feelings to someone else, often can give immediate release. 
but it's always helpful to talk to someone who can also give you some insight or perhaps a different perspective than what you have, and again, helpful ideas. Second, um, with the new uh, holidays that are coming up, what you can do is, is come up with, um, excuse me, with the new technology that's come up, you can also start integrating some of that technology into being a, a caregiver during the holidays. For example, I'm sure many of you may have had videotapes and things like that of, of your family. So this is a good time now to continue that tradition and involve even the children or the grandchildren. And, um, so the younger generation can get involved in some of that and doing some of the videotaping and giving their own perspective of, of what it is to be a caregiver. And so some of those um, memories will be very treasured um, later on down the road when you say, oh, we started a new tradition. We started having the grandchildren and, the, and other family members do the videotaping instead of me being the one that always did the camera uh, pictures or the videotaping. It also gives a snapshot of memories from the past if they can also have access to pictures from other holidays. So there'll be um, like a continuum then of the a continuum of the holidays that were there. Another thing that happens sometimes during the holidays or during the uh, caregiving experience is that many of the families also include in their families beloved pets. And so some of this may also then call for adjustments and changes in the care or the housing or other experiences of your pet. And what's interesting to me, and we had a little bit of discussion about this earlier, that research is increasingly showing that involving pets during the illness of a person is quite therapeutic. But again, that can be stressful if you haven't been able to plan. So try to plan ahead of time of who will take care of your pet if something comes up and you're not able to do that or the caregiver is not able to do that. And, and, you know, and to make sure that you know that their lifestyle won't be interrupted if things come up during that time frame. So then to move on, here's a few other strategies that you can use when you find yourself in this role. Determine what can realistically be done. Create a stable and a realistic role as a caregiver. Be informed. Maintain close communication with your loved ones, providers, and helpers. You can schedule a regular time to call and talk to them, especially if, you're, if you plan to be out of town during the holidays. Determine the strengths of the family. That is, identify the roles for each family member or friend, even, who wishes to be a part of the, of the team. Find out who does what and what they're willing to help with. Whole family conferences, such as suggested by Dr. Givens in her discussion, I again, I cannot stress how important those are and how they really help maintain communication across the family members. And then you can also set up a safety net, that is, identify neighbors, friends, or other relatives that can help you during these times. It's helpful to keep um, a list of, of helpful numbers of everyone who's involved in the care of your loved one. You may have them as the primary caregiver all in your head, but again, you start getting busy and you may have to call on someone to take care of something, and maybe you don't have the number right there at your fingertips. So if you can have that list, that would be helpful. And if you can keep copies of those lists and then distribute them to the folks that are going to be involved in that safety net, that will also maintain communication um, across um, all the folks that are involved in the support network. And for those of you that are long-distance caregivers, you can also, um, you're going to be worried about this also, and especially during the, the um, holidays, you may decide to go and visit. So when you go visit, do your own assessment. Look at um, the, the level and activity of the individual in the, um, in the place that they're living. Is it if it's a nursing home or, you know, another type of facility, look at the level of activity that's there. Look at their nutritional needs. Look at the personal hygiene. Um, look at the condition of the room. Is it clear, clean? Is it well organized? Look at things like um, have are the risks for falling hazards been incorporated? Are there smoke detectors? Are there secure locks on the doors? Things of that nature. So you can start feeling comfortable about how the safety of that loved one is uh, taken care of when you're not there. And finally and most important, keep tabs on your own physical and mental health. Caregiving is an emotional and physical experience. So your body needs care just as, mind as, just as much as the need and spirits require nurturing. So for example, some things that you may do as self-care is maintain or begin an exercise program. Even walking around the block will help with stress. If possible, schedule massage sessions, perhaps once a month or once every few months, because that helps the body then to start healing. Monitor your nutritional needs. Comfort food is soothing, but not always nutritional. So talk to friends or healthcare providers about ways to incorporate good foods into your daily diet. 
and have needed ask for help with lifestyle changes, such as with smoking or um, alcohol consumption, if that comes up. And then remind yourself that by taking care of your own health, you and the person you are caring for will reap the benefits of being a healthy caregiver. My colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you and the suggestions you may have for caregivers um, and, for the, and for the loved ones that they take care of. So thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. Uh, I look forward to perhaps hearing from uh, you as our listeners on tips that were successful for you during the holidays and other special events and being a caregiver. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, thank you very much, uh, Lupe, Dr. Taylor. It's just a wonderful presentation, as always, and wonderful suggestions and thoughts for people to think about. And as Dr. Palos has said during the uh, second half of the program, we will welcome both your questions, but also your comments and your tips of things that have worked well for you. So um, think about some things that you might like to share with others that you think might be helpful um, to members of the um, audience today. So thank you. And our next uh, uh, presenter, uh, next speaker, is uh, Christine Rubin. Christine is an oncology social worker, and she's with Cancer Care. And she's going to review the um, uh, Cancer Kids Free Psychosocial Support Services, and she also is going to give an overview of caregiving resources, including a discussion of My Cancer Circle. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Chrissy. Thank you, Carolyn, and, and thank you, Dr. Given and Dr. Palos, for your expertise and wisdom on the, the teleconference today. And Carolyn, I'm honored to be part of this call today and to have the opportunity to talk with all of you about our services here at Cancer Care. Now, as an oncology social worker, I've worked with many caregivers in my four years here, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the ways in which we can provide support to you, those of you who are caring for a loved one with cancer. Today, this workshop is all about you, the caregiver, um, but it's so easy uh, to often overlook your own needs as caregivers. And I know this firsthand from having been a caregiver myself. Uh, I want to commend all of you, first of all, for, for taking time out of your busy schedules today to participate in this call because by doing so, you're recognizing the importance of your own self-care. And hopefully you'll take away some of the helpful tips that we've, uh, that we've shared with you today uh, that will help you reduce your stress and allow you to take better care of yourselves and therefore also take better care of your loved ones. And this is especially important at this time of year as we approach this next part of the holiday season. It's always busy and hectic, so hopefully these tools can really be put into place for you. So when, when you first learned about uh, the cancer diagnosis, you probably felt extremely overwhelmed, sort of like a deer in the headlights. And cancer care can help in many ways, uh, such as our practical support and financial assistance, but we offer a variety of supportive services, including individual telephone counseling, online and telephone support groups, as well as face-to-face -face counseling services here in our New York area offices, our local offices here in the New York tri-state area where we offer one-on-one -on -one individual counseling and face-to-face -face support groups. And all of our services are provided by licensed oncology social workers, and these services are all completely free of charge. You might also, if you're local to our New York area offices, you might check our website for local community program offerings in, in these local offices that we have here. We recently had a mindfulness, mindfulness meditation workshop, art workshops, Reiki, and we also have free wig and prosthesis clinics. So these are some things to, to take a look at our website if you're local to this area. Now, we realize that cancer affects the whole person and the entire family. Asking for help by contacting a cancer care social worker for counseling or by joining a support group is really a sign of strength. Our counseling services can provide the time for you to talk about your needs, any questions you might have, concerns. Counseling can offer you tools to help cope with your loved one's diagnosis. For many people affected by cancer, talking with a social worker can really help relieve stress. Both individual counseling and support groups are a safe place where you can talk about these concerns and fears, any issues that might arise. And these connections help lessen the isolation that many caregivers often experience through this, this process and through this cancer journey. So one of the most important things I hope you'll realize is that you're not alone. Uh, and that hearing that there were close to 600 people on this call today really, I think, helps solidify that, that you're as, as lonely as it might feel at times, you really are not alone. And you're just a phone call away to one of us social workers here on our call line, uh, please know that number 800, many of you have probably called it, 
4673. Now I want to point out a really helpful, wonderful resource on the Cancer Care website. On our homepage, there is a place on the right-hand side to click a section specifically for caregivers and loved ones. And this will get you to the resource page for caregivers. And it lists all the different uh, uh, Connect Education workshops that we've held in the past that you can listen to as podcasts. It also has links to other resources um, and a, a, a column that we have called Ask Cancer Care, in which you will see questions and answers specific for caregivers. So it's a wonderful resource page, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. It also has a list of publications. Um, so these are all wonderful tools that I think that can be helpful for you down the road. Uh, the other thing I want to introduce is, is a wonderful and exciting tool that we have here at Cancer Care called My Cancer Circle. My Cancer Circle is a free, private, online support community for families and caregivers of patients facing cancer. Now, My Cancer Circle provides the following. It's a simple online tool that can help you organize a community of people who want to help. It's a way to coordinate community efforts to more efficiently support patients and caregivers. It has links to resources from cancer care that can help support caregivers, and there is a place to post words of encouragement and support, as well as other information, any other information that you want to share with the private community circle. My Cancer Circle was created uh, in collaboration with Beringer Engelheim Pharmaceuticals, Cancer Care, and is powered by lots of helping hands. So if you need to, uh, if you'd like to learn more about My Cancer Circle, there's a link on our website, on the Cancer Care website, which is cancercare.org, and also My Cancer Circle directly is mycancercircle.net. So I hope that those are some helpful, helpful resources for all of you. I wish you all a wonderful holiday season, and thank you for listening. Oh, well, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Rubin, that wonderful presentation, Christy, just fantastic, and, um, and also for highlighting uh, My Cancer Circle as a wonderful resource for everybody um, on the call today. And now we have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions, so I'm going to ask uh, Stephanie to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to invite all of you at this point to actually uh, begin to participate in the second part of the call, and that would mean that you could either ask a question or, as we've said earlier, you can share um, a tip that you have found to be particularly helpful or a strategy that you have found useful um, with all of us on the call today. So um, it gives you a chance to actually uh, take something you've done and, and, and tell us um, that it, it was helpful and that perhaps others might like to try it as well. So I'm going to ask Stephanie to explain to all of you how to queue up and uh, participate, and uh, we'll take as many of your comments and questions as possible. Stephanie? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question or provide a tip, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, to ask a question or provide a tip, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. And we have actually um, a comment from one of our um, online uh, participants. Um, and um, so this is a question. This is a, uh, what is the best resource for caregivers um, in terms of uh, cognitive skills due to, um, to brain cancer? What are some resources that they could turn to when someone is having some, having some cognitive um, issues? Um, so I'm going to ask, um, well, Dr. Palos, if you could start with that, and then we'll see um, if others, other, other speakers want to add to that as well. Well, it's, uh, I think a good place to start with would be with your own provider and to just ask your oncologist um, and see if there are re um, resources within the institution that you're being that the person is being cared for because there may be some services there and um, you can get a referral um, to those services. The others would be to, again, contact some of the services or the lines like Cancer Care and they would be able to give you some resources. Um, as, but it's going to vary, though. The resources are going to vary by the location, um, you know, where where you live, um, what kinds of resources or services that the facility is able to offer, and whether or not any specific resources are available within your community. So I think that's going to be a very um, tailored. Um, type of, of service that you're going to be requesting. It's going to be tailored to your area. It's going to be tailored to the facilities that you're being, the person is being treated at. Um, and, and that's real. I, I can't give you any specific, um, 
organizations or lines, and maybe Dr. Gibbons will be able to um, add some information to this um, response. There's a National Brain Tumor Society. If you just Google National Brain Tumor Society, uh, there, is, there are um, pages for family caregivers and helpful hints to, uh, about what to do. There's also a National Brain Tumor, American Brain Tumor Association, and that too has some um, strategies. And if you go to the National Cancer Institute and get into supportive care, there are uh, some suggestions for ways to deal with cognitive changes. Those would be my suggestions. Excellent. And uh, Chrissy, did you want to add to that as well? I think that they covered it quite well, and I agree certainly, especially with the part Dr. Pillows um, uh, mentioned about the individual needs and each situation being so different. So it's, it's hard. I think the resources are wonderful that Dr. Given just gave, but each situation is so different and individualized, it's important to find out what the specific needs are and if there, is, if there can be any help with occupational therapy, speech therapy, if there are problems with speech, that might be something to look into. And that's such a wonderful question that um, our, our, our online participant has asked because actually um, it's um, starting with your own provider is very important, but also many institutions do have um, a cognitive rehabilitation uh, services for people, um, um, and they also have like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, so they can tailor what the specific need is. Um, and you can really get quite a bit of help. Also, as Dr. Given has mentioned, there is the National Brain Tumor um, Society, but there are many other brain tumor organizations throughout the country. Many of them have chapters in different communities. So you might want to actually call one, and you also can call Cancer Care as well, because our staff also can give you those resources depending on what community you live in. So we hope this is a start and will help you with, um, with uh, feeling that, there's a, that there is help out there for you. There are materials and booklets as well that you can get. Um, um, as well as uh, programs and webcasts and teleconferences. So, okay. Um, our next question, Stephanie. Our next question comes from Sandra T. Your line is open. Um, I just want to tell you that I am so gratified to see and hear uh, all of the resources that you're providing. In 1974, I lost my daughter to cancer at a year old, and these resources were not available to me. So my heart is so full of gratitude to all of you uh, from everybody who has to go through that experience. You have no idea how important what the work that you're doing right now. So I just, I just really wanted to tell you I appreciate that. Also, I want to uh, uh, tell you I appreciate you mentioning massage therapy. I'm a licensed massage therapist in the state of Texas, and I do work on cancer patients, and it's happens to be one of my particular loves, probably because of the experience that I had. So really, truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful to you guys. Well, thank you. We're sorry about your daughter, and we certainly are available to be of support to you. And actually, um, I wonder if any of our speakers want to comment also on just the role of um, massage therapy in terms of just helping caregivers. Um, Dr. Palos, do you want to comment on that? Yes. Um, I think, you know, all of us... Well, I don't know about all of us, but some of us, when we hear the word massage therapy, think, oh, gosh, massage therapy, that's such a luxury. But I, research is beginning to show that massage therapy, whether it be for a caregiver or a patient, is very therapeutic also. So it's not just a luxury. Sometimes it, it can really make a difference. Uh, like I said, caregiving is not just an emotional experience. It's a very physical experience because you're moving people around and, you know, you're having to pick up things. And, I mean, it, it is a very physical condition. So, um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour massage. It can be a 20-minute massage. Um, some institutions are even providing massage um, sessions for their employees because they're finding out how beneficial it is. So it, it really is now becoming a part of care. Um, and again, I think the services are going to be individualized to the institution. But if there's way, you know, a way that you can try to incorporate it into um, a, a self-nurturing care plan for yourself, whether as a patient or whether as a caregiver, I would strongly recommend it. And, and I would advise just, you know, speaking to your um, provider about this or your, the patient provider or even your primary care physician can give you some information about massage and the, the therapeutic benefits that come from that. And that's really such an important point that you're making. Be sure to run that past your healthcare provider. And but as Dr. Palos has said, there are many benefits to this, and it's just so important to um, 
to coordinate all of your care and the support that you get. Um, so these are wonderful questions. Um, okay, our, our next question. Our next question comes from Elise and Phil F. Your line is open. Yes, hi. Um, it's interesting that the caregiver seminar should be today. Uh, today is the three years since my husband was discharged from uh, the, um, uh, what was the induction phase of going for a BMT uh, transplant. So um, my question is, uh, in the literature that um, was sent out, it indicates the services and support that Cancer Care offers, and it talks about support groups, which I was part of with Hello Chrissy, uh, when Hello, my husband was first diagnosed, uh, and it was a wonderful experience. But I was wondering if there are any support groups through Cancer Care for caregivers that are now been doing it for uh, three years, uh, now have their own health problems, and um, could use some support groups uh, for a more uh, progressed stage of what's been taking place. And I think you have asked such a really important question um, in terms of long, you're really, uh, what you're really saying is a really long-term caregiver. First of all, I'm really, um, first of all, the program happened on a day that's significant for you. Is, it makes it a special anniversary for you, this whole program in the day. Um, and, but I think also that, indeed, there are people who are caregivers for a short period of time, but then what you're really describing is someone who's really in there for a long period of time as a caregiver. And I wonder if um, we can just address the long-term needs, and then I would definitely encourage you to call us after the call and, and talk with one of our staff here. But um, Dr. Palis, I wonder if you can just address the issues of like long, really we're talking about like long, we talk about um, long-distance caregiving, but we're really talking about long-time caregiving and what, what we know about that. That's an excellent question. Uh, we just did uh, a needs assessment of, of uh, survivors and caregivers at a large survivorship conference um, that our institution holds. And it was interesting to see, even in our long-term caregivers, that the areas that they um, perceived that they were helping the most in were more physical than emotional. So they felt like they, they were still providing physical um, care to uh, long-term um, survivors because of the late effects that they had had. So again, it goes back to saying that you know um, caregiving is also an, a physical experience, not just an emotional experience. But one of the things that came up also was chronic stress um, and distress. And part of it was that the fear or the anxiety that they had about the recurrence because it also came from their loved one because as a survivor that was also noted as a as a priority, their their fear of recurrence of disease. So that kind of spilled in over to the to the caregiver. So that chronic stress is not um, something that um, you you're imagining or anything. I mean, it is there, and um, so we know then that the needs are there for our long-term um, caregiver caregivers that um, affect their physical uh, abilities as well as they need some help with the chronic stress. So, again, I don't know about the support groups, though, specifically addressing the needs of long-term caregivers. That's an excellent question, and perhaps um, Ms. Rubin or Dr. Gibbons can give some information about uh, long-term um, caregiver support groups. Thank you. Thanks. Um, uh, Christy, do you want to address the issues of for long-term caregivers and just the kinds of support mechanisms that are out there for long-term caregivers? Well, this is this is an area that that uh, is a little bit of a gap in service. I have to be quite honest about about that. Um, we look at the needs of survivors, and we do have um, survivorship services for you know patients who are past the treatment phase. But it is an area that I think we can improve upon for caregivers because there are long-term effects that are still affecting caregivers after the treatment has finished. And it's something I think that we need to look at and explore as, as far as trying to uh, provide offerings there for the longer-term needs of caregivers after the fact. So I, I wish I had a better answer for you, Elise, to be able to, um, to say that we could, we have this right now, but it's something that has been on my radar for quite some time. So uh, it's good to be reminded about it and to, to talk about it more to see what we can to try to put into place. And we also encourage you, Elise, to actually, um, I'd like to talk with you after the call as well, because I think that you're raising some really excellent points. Um, Dr. Given, do you want to comment on just long-term caregiving um, as, a, as a really ongoing need for people? 
Uh, well, I agree with everybody that we're pretty much uh, in a gap as far as really providing resources. Occasionally, uh, in some communities, I see them not really having support groups, but having groups like yoga groups for uh, long-term caregivers or mindfulness groups or exercise groups. Uh, and those are sort of healthy kinds of things, but those are things that the literature is starting to show that for the chronic stress and the long-term caregivers really have some health benefits for them at three, four, or five years if they're involved that long. So this is definitely an area for, um, that for further program development, and Elise, I think we'll We'll, we'll talk. We want to definitely talk with you because you certainly have a lot of ideas about this. On um, the materials that you receive from Cancer Care, there, there are a number of different organizations that um, offer services. We do have the National Family Caregivers Association. There are a number of uh, organizations that are listed that may also offer services as well um, over time um, and may be able to help link you as well. Um, so that um, thank you. Thank you for that excellent question. And um, our next question, Stephanie. Our next question comes from Laura C. Your line is open. Hi there. I um, am, I guess, really piggybacking on the last question, which is um, I'm an oncology social worker, but also just lost my sister, who I was the primary caregiver for. And my question is, is um, when the, the changing roles for caregivers when someone, unfortunately, does pass away and it seems that there's a specific, it's not, there's grief, but there's also the grief of the, the caregiver. And wondering if anybody can comment on that a little bit. Um, that's, an, uh, Laura, first of all, we're sorry about the loss of your sister, that her death. And we, there are um, many uh, support groups for bereaved uh, caregivers and bereaved siblings of care, um, who have been caregivers as well. So I think that um, in that area um, there are uh, resources for you in terms of um, bereavement caregiver groups. Um, and uh, Chrissy, do you want to comment on that? Well, certainly, and it, 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 it depends on the one hand uh, where you're calling from. I would like to speak with you certainly um, about a couple of specific things having to do with sibling loss, uh, which can be a very unique situation. And there are a couple of books that I would recommend to you um, in that regard. So I would, I would you know, welcome um, uh, a call from you about that. Um, we do have bereavement groups, online bereavement groups here at Cancer Care, and you can find those by, uh, by going onto our website and looking under our services where the support groups are listed. And then we have face-to-face -face groups in our offices specifically for bereavement. Uh, and then we can also recommend that you look for something in your own local area. If you are um, not in the New York tri-state area, you can, um, you can contact hospice services or uh, faith communities, hospitals, uh, where your loved one was treated for um, for their cancer um, to see if there are bereavement services local in your area. And I would highly recommend and encourage you, any of you on the call who have experienced that kind of a loss, to do so. Uh, but Lori, I welcome a, a, you know, a call or an email from you if you'd like to, to reach out and talk specifically. And for anyone interested in any type of groups, um, if you go to our website, it lists all the different online groups that we offer. So that's another resource for you as well. And Dr. Palos, do you want to comment on just the important role of groups for um, bereaved caregivers? That, uh, the support groups are, are excellent. But first of all, I want to congratulate you that you have the insight to even recognize that um, you are having those feelings of loss and that you are seeking you know, um, groups for that. Because many times people have that, you know, lose someone and they have those feelings, but they really aren't aware of how maybe how to articulate those needs to someone. Um, we did some focus groups with parents and of uh, bereaved parents of children and adolescents they had lost. And one of the things that was very clearly stated by all of them was that, you know, one thing that they felt was the loss of the support that they had been maintaining with the hospital and with all the clinicians that were providing care. So it was as if uh, when they 
um, after they lost their child, they were like, oh, we, you don't, you know, we don't have anyone to talk to about our child. So they would call the providers back at the hospital to, to just talk about their child and to remember them and, and everything. So congratulations that you recognize that there's a need. I hope other people are hearing that, that, you know, when you're having those feelings, um, talk to someone and, and see about what type of support groups are there. Because what we also found out was that people wanted to talk to other folks about this, and they could really identify um, some, some common areas that they all grieved about the, the lost um, child. So I'm sure that for siblings, there were some siblings that were also in those groups, and they also expressed some of the same losses. So um, I can't tell you enough how it helps to, again, verbalize feelings, to talk about it, again, just to say it sometimes will bring you good relief, but then to share those thoughts with others and to find out that there are others that have similar feelings is also very beneficial and sometimes empowering to you. Also, you know, many of our, um, many people who come to Cancer Care for Help also have, um, they may use other networks of support um, for their help. Um, that may have been in place in their lives. Um, they may have some affiliation with um, a religious affiliation uh, that they then have been involved with, and that they may discover that in that in that community there are other people who ha who share their their loss, or um, even within the medical care system that they may have been uh, going to. There may be someone else that they had become friendly with who actually also has had a similar loss, and it becomes a network for them or friend who's had a loss like that. Um, and I guess I want to ask Dr. Given if the research has um, shown that to happen, that people, in addition to the professional organizations out there, the, um, the kind of networks that people have developed um, in, in terms of just their own communities that offer support to them, or may have the potential to offer them support. Right. I think the research would support that. And the research also is supporting that groups that are on the web or in any of the social media kind of thing also are showing some very positive results so that people can get engaged that way and contribute. So I think locally and then look at some of the professional groups, but also let's take advantage of some of the social media that's available. I mean, those have to be selected carefully, but uh, they should be selected and are available to even those people in very uh, locales that do not have a lot of resources. And you know, we do actually partner with the National Center for Frontier Communities. It's on your materials. And they actually, in very, uh, very rural areas, actually very, very rural areas, and they actually can help to connect with resources as well. Now we have another question from Samantha, um, one of our online participants here. What are some of the signs that a caregiver can look out for that may indicate the need to have additional home care or possibly hospice help? So I'm going to ask Dr. Palos if you could start with that one. So it's uh, to recognize um, the needs then when, when um, someone, uh, a family member or a loved one diagnosed with cancer is, is needing home health care? Home care and possibly hospice care. Okay, okay. Well, part of, I, th I think one very visible sign would be um, any changes in, in the person's health status. Um, I think one of the things that was brought up earlier, is there a change in their cognitive status? Um, are they, uh, you know, expressing um, periods of, of pain more often? Are they having disturbed sleep more? You know, is that increasing? So those would be, um, of course, some of the, the signs that you could look at. Because you, if, as a caregiver, you know um, the health of, of, your, um, of the person you're taking care of. Um, you probably have an eagle eye, and, and you can kind of see, oh, they didn't eat everything the way they usually do, or their appetite isn't the same, or I noticed they, they weren't sleeping, or they weren't as cheerful as they've been. So any type of changes that you see like that would be, would be some signals that maybe there's some changes going on. And then the next thing I would strongly suggest is if once you start noticing things like that, contact the provider and find out, you know, express to them that you've noticed these changes. Maybe it's not time for an appointment for you, but at that time, if you express that and, and report that to the provider, the provider may say, okay, uh, it's time to schedule an appointment. Can you come in for, you know, and then they can do an assessment and see uh, what the status is. But again, I, I think the, the main thing, the strength of the caregiver is that they know 
the, um, the daily activities and the characteristics and the habits of the person that they're taking care of. And if you start noticing any type of decline or changes in, in those types of habits, that's a good time to contact your provider and speak to the provider and see what next steps to take. I would just, I would just add that those were uh, outstanding uh, perspectives from the uh, perspective of the patient. It is also important to look at yourself as a caregiver and look at increased anxiety, increased feelings of depression, feeling totally overwhelmed, feeling like you can't do it another day, being irritable, being angry, snapping at people. That's a sign that things are changing and that you as an individual need some assistance. And that too is time to call the doctor about the patient, but also see if you can find some community resources, home care, or some uh, communities have uh, sort of, um, I, I would call them aides or home companions that could come in to offer some respite for that. And so those are times when extra resources around the home need to be supported. And, and uh, Chrissy, could you talk about HALT a little bit? Oh, certainly, yeah. Um, it, on the heels of that, there's a, a, t a helpful tool that I use with care caregivers that um, you can use on a daily basis, just using the word HALT, taking time to uh, pause yourself throughout the day and take stock of where you are. Use the word HALT as an acronym and break it down into uh, these four questions. Ask yourself, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? So first of all, am I hungry? Well, when was the last time I had a meal or a snack? When was the last time I had a healthy meal or a healthy snack? So just kind of assess your needs as far as your, your food intake and, and that goes along with um, keeping yourself um, you know, making sure that you're drinking a lot of fluids, drinking a lot of water. A, am I angry? Uh, do I need to maybe pound a pillow or get some exercise, go for a walk and get some of that anger out? Am I lonely? Do I need to connect with a friend? Do I need to get away from the cancer for a moment and try to uh, engage in some sort of social activity, go to a movie, just do something that might not have to, anything to do with the cancer? And am I tired? How is my sleep? What, what are my sleep patterns? And do I need to get a better night's sleep? Do I need to take breaks and perhaps get a short nap in every once in a while so that I refresh myself. So just a reminder to use that word halt throughout the day. And we can all do this. It's a helpful tool that, that is uh, concrete and simple to remember. So I hope that that, that, that helps. And also, um, Chrissy, could you say a few more words about my Cancer Circle as a resource for everybody on the call as well, just to kind of, in, in addition to calling Cancer Care, that that tool might really help in some instances as well? Certainly, and I can talk to you about it for, from my own um, um, experience using the tool. We have a, a neighbor in my apartment building who um, has been hospitalized and is now in a nursing home, and we have been able to use this as a wonderful tool to gather commu the community of people in our building and friends of hers and neighbors where uh, one of my neighbors set up the community, the online community. There's a help calendar. So we set up um, items on the help calendar for, as an example, one thing, daily visits or weekend visits, evening visits, so that we make sure that someone is going to visit her on a regular basis. So we can see where there is, there are days of the week that um, where she needs visitors and we go online and click on the help calendar and sign up for it. I've posted photos of myself and, and my neighbor. She's about to turn 91 years old next week, and so we post words of encouragement. We also post updates. Her nephew lives in North Carolina, so he posts updates for us. He's uh, the only relative that she has, so we're able to get information from him uh, by having him post things from, from North Carolina so that we can stay up to date on information that he has about her medical situation. And then it's a great way of, way of sharing information in a very simplified manner. Um, you get the information to all of the different people who are in the community, and we have this opportunity to help one of our, our dear neighbors who we all care for so much, and we see where there are needs, and uh, it's really been a wonderful way to communicate. So I'm, I'm grateful personally uh, to have this gift of my cancer circle, so that we can help someone in our in our um, in our immediate community, and I, I highly encourage you to go on to the website to take a look at it because it can help with anything from uh, you know rides for kids, dropping off meals, visits, rides to treatment. Um, there's a great communication tool. 
Well, thank you very much, uh, Chrissy. And I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been extraordinary, just an extraordinary group of speakers. I want to thank all of our participants, both online and on the telephone, for really bringing more issues for us to to address today and, and just being so, such a, a remarkable call. I want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour program and that in planning a program like this, we do recognize that you have many, many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. So with that in mind, I do want to once again remind you about the services that you can access, both from Cancer Care and, of course, from all of our collaborating organizations as well. Um, but we are here. We have a staff of 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, and here to provide support and help. We are simply a phone call away. We're a national organization, so no matter where you are in the country or to some extent the world, you can either call us on the phone or you can visit our website. Um, but we are here to help you, and, um, and we offer... Um, support on the telephone. We offer counseling services on the telephone. We offer support groups on the telephone. We do a lot of things online as well, um, whatever is most convenient and comfortable for you. We offer practical and financial assistance, so some of you have practical issues and, and concerns. And we have lots of different materials and publications. Mo and of course, we do many of these telephone, many of these workshops um, on a regular basis, and you have a, a schedule of upcoming programs. Most importantly, as we end the program today, I don't want any one of you to feel that you're alone. I want you to know that you are part of this community of support, and, we, and please do call us um, because um, you know, we're here to help you. I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day.